Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends and very distinguished listeners to Navigate with ID. This is your business school on radio. And today I have a very special edition to unravel. You'll probably just wonder what makes this a bumper special edition. I have two fantastic professors on the program who have come in all the way from the United States of America. One, a son of the soil, and one, a visitor. Well, without much ado, I'd like to introduce to some and present to others, starting with my friend, brother, and um, classmate of yours. He's been on this program a couple of times. Many of you know him. Once upon a time, some 40-plus years ago, when we met at Baptist Academy, we were classmates, and we were schoolmates, and we've remained mates. But I must say something that Prof is not my mate, is an older brother. He just uh, marked, you know, the diamond celebration this year. And I'm still looking with some lens at my own diamond play. Well, I'm happy to introduce to some and present to others, Professor Emmanuel Orishe Jaffo, who's come all the way from the United States and um, found himself at home. I'll say welcome, Emmanuel. Welcome, to Lagos, Nigeria, and welcome home. It's great to be home. Uh, feels so great to be here. Thank you. Fantastic, uh, Prof. Now, because I have two profs on the show, I'm going to have to balance this by saying Professor Ree, and um, I have a very special guest in the person of Professor Alan Cooper. Alan is coming to Lagos, Nigeria for the first time, and it's a privilege to have him done our studio here at Navigate with ID, and there couldn't be any better person to introduce him and speak to the greatness that Alan brings to the table other than Ori himself. So, Professor Emmanuel Orisha Jaffo, do us the honors of presenting Professor Alan Cooper to our audience. Thank you, ID. Thank you. This is great. And I have this special honor to introduce a very special person in my life, uh, and particularly as a young man, I met Alan Cooper over 40 plus years ago after I waved uh, a temporary bye-bye to ID that I'm on my way to the States to study. Uh, Dr. Alan Cooper, Professor Alan Cooper, um, is a professor in political science with specialization in international law, international relations, uh, comparative politics, and several other areas, really is a generalist. When I say generalist, this is a man who has been teaching over 40 plus years in higher wow. education in the United States. Uh, he's a full professor who has done uh, amazing work. He has published over seven books. Uh, his latest book was published uh, this year, about a month ago, and is entitled the shadow that lingers. And in this book, Professor Alan Cooper is trying to tell us what slavery teaches us about freedom. And wow. in other words, just examining slavery is not enough. 
but we should understand what it teaches us about why it's important to be uh, free. He examined the psychopolitical analysis of what slavery does to us in the traditional sense and in the contemporary sense. So he went through this process of bringing us to understand that even though slavery has gone through this evolution, modern slavery is itself a problem. And what I love about this book is that there's a special place in the book which I recommend, where it talks about the role of which returnees to Nigeria and other parts of the world, and even Liberia, have played in terms of emancipation. So in the book, there is a special place there for me where it talks about Afro-Brazilian returnees to Lagos. And he also examined issues related to uh, various communities. So coming to Nigeria for the first time, he has a chance to see some of the places he mentioned and cited in his book, like Bangladesh, wow. like Olushi, like Tinumbu, and, and Campus Square, and so on and so forth. But besides being a great scholar, uh, Alan Cooper has simply consulted with many international agencies. He has worked in the United States State Department uh, before. He has done some work related to um, uh, the removal of uh, of the apartheid laws. Uh, he has given testimony before United States Congress in regards to apartheid. He is a staunch supporter of freedom, liberation, and emancipation for humanity. Period, regardless of race or ethnicity, is uh, a someone who has inspired me. Uh, so greatly to be in the forefront of social, economic, and political issues that will bring about our liberty, regardless of geopolitical uh, factors. So he's just an extremely bright, wonderful scholar who continues to make an uh, unimaginable contribution to our world. Uh, and I welcome him to Lagos. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Emmanuel. I appreciate the introduction. I have been in different areas of Africa over the past 40 years, but I'm finally at the the heart of the whole challenge here. I really enjoyed the last couple of weeks here in Lagos, and um, I hope this is just the first of many trips to come. Well, this is quite exciting. Emmanuel, just listening to you talk about Alan uh, brought some goose pimples to me, and um, I'd really like to stretch this because the essence of having you guys on air is really um, to hear firsthand from Alan, his experience stepping into the city of Lagos and the country, Nigeria, and having written a book, The Shadow That Lingers. And it'd be nice to get your perspective, Alan, on this because where culture and that aspect of freedom where they come together in the emancipation of the mind and the thought. It would be great for us to just chime into that part of you. Well, what I do in the book is to show that at a very basic human level, things have not necessarily transformed in a way where you can distinguish how most people live today from the kind of enslavement they may have faced in 
centuries past, and that the dynamics of how people organize their life is still essentially controlled by someone else in many cases. And so part of my interest in a place like Lagos is that no matter where you go, you can see a lot of money being invested in new growth and buildings. And it's obvious that there are some very wealthy people that live in the area. But at the same time, everywhere you go, even around that concentration of wealth, you see a much larger population of people who are struggling just to get by on a daily basis. So what I'm kind of interested in is that dynamic of, you know, Nigeria has more billionaires than any other African country. But then you also have, you know, an enormous number of people who really just do not seem to know if they are going to get through the day or not. And it's that dynamic that I'm interested in studying. And what makes it challenging, but, you know, complicating is most people have these divided loyalties. And so it's, if you're looking for an answer to how can people have more control over their own lives, then which political identity will accommodate that better, becoming a citizen of the nation or becoming a member of the of a pre-colonial community that itself was self-sufficient, um, you know, prior to colonialism. And of course, there's also maybe a third way, but Nigeria seems to be ground zero for being able to study all of these phenomena. There's enormous amount of wealth being invested here. There's also an enormous uh, amount of poverty of people who are trying to change their lives so that they have a future that they can plan for. And so that's what really interests me in seeing how the uh, a community like Lagos can evolve. And it just seems to me that it's, it's like even during the slave trade, Lagos became the largest city uh, on the coast because of that trade. But even today, it seems like whatever's happening in Lagos uh, affects not only Nigeria, but the whole of Africa. And so that's true. If you're going to solve uh, an issue that is uh, related to Africa's place in the world, the answer is probably somewhere in Lagos. And that's why I'm really fascinated by this city. Wow. That's quite insightful. And um, I mean, I like the fact that you're talking about the lens and the gateway to prosperity coming through the lens of just one part, shining that light that goes across. Now, I'll probably move to Professor Emmanuel Orisha Jaffa, who um, is not just um, Nigerian and is what I'll classify as the son of the soil. Um, Ori, you tend to come into the country and then you traverse Africa with a lot of work that you're doing, literary work. I couldn't, you know, really put my hand and finger around the number of books you've written and also about um, the space of indigenous knowledge. How would you, you know, wearing the lens of both sides of the coin, speak to what Prof has talked about, um, Lagos 
and indeed Africa, and then looking at that vis-a-vis um, -vis other West African countries or African countries, given your experience and what we're talking about uh, within the shadow of culture and, and that whole dynamic. Uh, thank you, Aili. Um, I've, I've had some time in Lagos uh, recently and in the past, as you know, I'm in and out quite frequently. Yeah. Uh, some of what I've tried to do is to address issues related to the challenges and the opportunities we have, not just in Lagos, but also uh, in the nation. Uh, my work, uh, it's primarily focused on development studies. I am someone who is interested in the political economy of our environment. What are the things that inhibits us from developing politically, economically, socially? And from the last work that I did, which came out uh, in 2022, on uh, indigenous knowledge and, and, their, and uh, a new approach, or an approach rather, an approach to uh, food security. That work is born out of a, a work that started 2004 with several studies that have been published in major journals. And I was critiquing the use of biotechnology to address food security in Africa. I was critiquing the World Bank and the World Food Organization approach to accelerated growth. All of these development approaches are models that have been dumped at our laps in the developing countries as a means of addressing food security. And, and it's, it's, it's asking for accelerated growth. I basically, in my work, said, no, that's not the best option for us. The best option for us going forward is to identify how we can address food sustainability, whereby we can self-sufficiently not only feed ourselves, but also export some of our products. And my, the basic premise of my work is that, look, the Western model or the Weberian model of governance, the, uh, the development model of food security, all of those things are really, really exogenous to we Africans, particularly Nigerians. Now, the best prescription is for us to look at our own indigenous knowledge to address issues of not only food security, but wellness. There's no way you can address food security when you're not well, because food also contributes to wellness. But if the population is not well, it cannot address food security either. So vice versa, uh, what is the best way forward? And all I'm saying is that after 50 years of the World Bank touting uh, Green Revolution, I remember many years ago, we were part of that Green Revolution model, even Latin American countries. How come? Over 50 years later or more, we have not been able to address issues of food security. That means that approach is not working. So everything that comes from outside our shores are not the best thing forward. If we look indigenously and endogenously, 
we'll be able to find a solution to our problem. So I said, well, let's go back to the grassroots and look at the various models for food security, look at the various models for wellness. So I was addressing both food security and wellness issues. And I was looking into basic foundation of what makes us even healthy citizens when we didn't have much. So I'm not saying we should throw the baby away with the water, but I'm also saying that we need to examine those models and make sure we can contextualize it in terms of the African reality, especially the realities on the ground in Nigeria. So that's where I'm coming from. And I think what um, Alan is basically pointing out here is very, very uh, important because while we might have the Atlantic slave trade and so on and so forth, what about modern slavery that even captures the mindset of uh, of our leaders uh, and they have not been able to do anything to address those kind of things. We have uh, women who have been exported out of our continent and out of our various countries and human labor, child labor. All of these are mental issues and psychological and physical issues that need to be addressed. And there are also indigenous slavery and uh, as well. So I will let Alan speak more to some things related to that. But our, our issue here, uh, as I see it, is how do we take all these, you know, bundle of knowledge to address development? And that's where I'm coming from, from the development perspective. Yes. Well, uh, thank you very much. Um... Professor Rishi Jaffo, and um, listening to both of you, I just kind of um, kind of shudder because on one hand, um, you'd have Alan, you know, um, speak to what he has seen, um, just coming to Lagos first time, on one hand, absolute wealth, and on the other hand, absolute um, poverty, and how they are able to cohabitate and all of that. and. Um, on the other hand, too, you're talking about food security, which in its own way is it it's a tool or could be a lever to drive emancipation and that freedom, um, getting people out of one side of the coin into the other side of the of the coin. I'd just really like to lean on the experience of Professor Alan Cooper um to share and also shed more light on how we as um indigenous citizens would get that boost. What is it, Alan, that we need to do that can get a lot of our guys out of that poverty spiral, out of that slave mentality? And when I mean slavery, I'm speaking about enslavement personal, the individual locking himself up and believing that he needs to depend on someone to be able to make the best of his life, rather not looking at himself as one who has the capacity to, uh, to build capability and then be a blessing to others. Uh, it would be great to get your perspective on this, Professor Cooper. Yeah, it's an uh, interesting question. Um, and I think part of what uh, I do appreciate about the work of Emmanuel is the idea that um, each those, those individuals who are struggling to uh, make a living for themselves are are part of multiple systems that are in place, so that 
um, as Emmanuel was saying, I mean, they're part of an indigenous community, but they're also part of a nation. And the leaders of both of those various levels of government uh, have different objectives and skills and resources. And typically, um, people tend to think that you have to nurture one of them in order to be successful. And Emmanuel's work is showing the benefits of actually trying to collaborate across those different levels of government. So, I mean, a good example is how COVID affected Nigeria. The outside world was determined to perceive the problem in terms of you have to find this scientific solution to this pandemic, which would rely on the various vaccines to help people through that crisis. And so when people saw that the vaccines were not coming into Nigeria, the outside world was convinced that there was going to be a really horrible situation arising, uh, and especially in a overcrowded place like Lagos. And, you know, people did have their problems, but it was nowhere near what people were expecting. And so even in Emmanuel's work, you know, he could look kind of underneath the, you know, way of looking at government to realize that as needy as people might be, the one meal a day that they may have is actually a, a pretty healthy meal. That people do rely on kind of indigenous foods and spices and their nutritional capacities are actually very, very high. So their immune system was much stronger than the typical immune system of an American who eats three or four huge meals a day, but it's processed foods, which are at the end of the day, it's very filling, but not necessarily nutritious. nutritious. And so in the United States, you have you know hundreds of thousands of people uh, dying, even though they had access to an enormous amount of food, but it wasn't really healthy food. And so what helped Nigeria survive COVID was actually that indigenous knowledge and a reliance on indigenous resources that kept people relatively healthy so that they could survive something like COVID. So the absence of a vaccine coming into, you know, the population as a whole really didn't change uh, or shape the outcome because people had access to indigenous resources. They actually fared better against a threat like COVID than even uh, the population of the United States with all of its uh, abundance and, mm -hmm. and but uh, not necessarily uh, nutritional value of what people actually eat day by day. That's, um, it's quite um, amazing that you said that. I do recall uh, during the period of COVID, we, we had a lot of um, locals, I mean, Nigerians that had to resort to indigenous foods and um, fruits and all manner of stuff, ginger. And you had all of those coming through naturally. And you could see people, 
you know, really putting them together. And they were just at arm's length. As a matter of fact, um, stuff like um, Cola Nuts, um, the prizes, Bitter Cola, and all of those items, we typically just, you know, look around, hobnob around. Uh, they became lifesavers. And it's simply because on one part, maybe because we had so much of it, we're ignorant about the effects of what it could do. I think, gentlemen, what we'll do now, we need to take a break. And I'd like to implore our listeners not to go away. We'll be right back. It's still Navigate with ID. I have the honor and privilege of having two great professors in the house, Emmanuel Orisha Jaffo um, and Alan Cooper. We'll be back on the second half because um, time is of essence. And we'll just take a break. And when we return, we'll look at, still delve into this part of the indigenous knowledge, um, what we have, our culture, the richness of it, and how it can help build the dynamic. And I hopefully, gentlemen, would like to step into education because that's one space you both play very well. So we'll be right back. Don't go away, friends. It's just a break. Let's pay some bills. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome back, uh, dear friends. It's still Navigate with ID, your business school on radio. Like I did say in my opening, today is a super-duper bumper edition. And why is it so? I have some very special guests who have come in all the way from the United States of America. Uh, privileged to have uh, two professors in the house. One, Emmanuel Orisha Jaffo, and the other, Alan Cooper. Uh, we have done the introductions in the first half, so I don't want to belabor that. But I'd like to really, you know, step into the space of where we are looking at the dynamism of two worlds and the place of culture, indigenous knowledge in development, development of the people of the nation, development of resources. But let me start by putting my boss, um, Emmanuel Orisha Jaffo, on the line. He's, he's my, my great big brother. And um, do not mind that we are both of the Baptist Academy's talk. Yes, we're classmates, but he's, he's the man about, about everything. He's a professor. I never had the privilege. I don't have the privilege of being called prof. Um, Emmanuel, you abandoned me many years ago and left for the United States. And uh, today, you're a professor. I'm still a single boy with a title, mister. Now, you know, I'd like to talk about education and the place of that in development and your forays into the States where you've done great work coming back into Africa, giving back to Africa, driving a lot of work. And of course, um, I know that Alan Cooper, um, who is our overall boss too, you are my boss. Alan is, a, is the boss of all bosses. So our listeners will get to understand how this loops in. And let's see how, that, how the place of education has been able to shape uh, development, especially in the context of what we're doing and using you as my drumstick and yardstick into that future. So tell us a bit, Emmanuel. Uh, I, the, you use a very strong word. You said, I abandoned you. There's yes, no you did. My brother, I cannot abandon someone who I love and who is my brother. Oh, I just, that makes I, me. I, I just took a sabbatical from you so I can go and take <laughs> care of <some> things. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, true, sabbatical. I, 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 I tell you lovely. what, I, and the sabbatical was very, very, uh, very, very, uh, what you call it, very, very temporary. Uh, to the audience, ID uh, is still my boss, first of all. And I, I will take that disclaimer that I'm not his boss. 
is my great <laughs> brother and colleague. We had a chance to go to one of the finest schools uh, in Lagos at that time, uh, in the early 70s, uh, middle 70s, up to the uh, beginning of the early 80s, called Baptist Academy. Uh, yeah, very known, true. We are known as Baptacards. You know, we are very proud of our institution. We all started off under the tutelage of the great Dr. Adigbite, who also yeah. had, had been a wonderful example of what educational leadership should be. We're supposed to be not only smart, but to be unified, socially responsible, and also focused. He was Absolutely. simply trying to prepare us to become the next generation of leaders in Nigeria. He had all the uh, the 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 what we call the 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 template for future leadership, future forms of leaders who will make different changes in the area of medicine, in the area of teaching, in the area yeah, of engineering. Yeah. You can just name all the disciplines. So I started off at Baptist Academy in 75, 1975, came in, very, very playful. I, I was more interested in the footballing. Uh, I played a lot of football all around. And you dribbled all of us all the time. <laughs> around the campus. So my focus on education at that time was a little bit different because I just believed that I was good enough to play football. But my parents were not interested in the footballing, even though my father was much into football administration at one point or the other. Several family members who are generational uh, students of Baptist Academy at one point or the other were all into sports. But needless to say, I had to go to Baptist Academy because that's the, our home school, meaning yeah. that I have uncles and, you know, fellow members of the family who attended Baptist Academy. But what Baptist Academy did, to cut the long story short, is to give me the structure and the discipline to be able to leave Nigeria and be able to compete anywhere in the world. I, mm. I was quite honestly not sure how that is going to work out when I left. But what I'm trying to say to you, all in the audience is that we had something in Nigeria at that time, even though we are a product of colonial education, but we had an infrastructure that provided sustainable educational processes for us. You go from your nursery, elementary, or what have you, to middle school, yeah. practice, and you get into a high school such as Baptist Academy, St. Gregory's College, St. Fimbers. So we had these legacy schools who were very, very competitive. Yeah. And we had we had avenues in which to display uh, our our competencies through literary and debating societies that bring that makes education more of a of a fun and creative process, and also have a good dance and and have fun. So we were very uh, very balanced. And but at that time, Lagos was a different kind of Lagos, obviously. So uh, the infrastructure was not uh, that bad. It was even much better than what we've seen today. So something has happened. Absolutely. And so uh, from that angle, uh, the rest is history. When I left Nigeria, I just basically amassed myself into this new process called the uh, Western education, which I've had the foundation. So basically what I'm saying, uh, ID, is that the foundation that we had in our educational system was unbelievable. Yeah. 
And what tears, what tears my heart apart today is that I don't think we are expending enough of our national budget into education. So what does the future lie for the wow. generation of Nigerians who are coming in uh, with all the money we are and revenue coming from oil and other natural resources? I think the the future of our country lies in our commitment to education. Uh, and we have to be very, very honest that less than 20% of our budget is going to education. And less than 10. Yeah, less than 10. I was even telling Alan recently, less than 10% of our budget goes into education. I don't want to quote any arbitrary number. At that point, I said, I think it's not more than 5%, if I should be honest, because I got a white paper out a few years ago about that issue itself. But, you know, Babs Academy is a fun place. Our educational system was fun. It, it basically developed people like ID, uh, several other people who are sans, who are big time lawyers, commercial lawyers, uh, you know, intellectual property lawyers, engineers, medical doctors. We 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 are in every field of work. So something is very interesting about that type of education. It means it was balanced, it was compelling, and it was very very preparatory for our careers. So. That, you know, we, we we still have several challenges. And the, the, the question of where we go from here becomes a matter of priorities and choices. Those yeah, right who are in charge of this process have to look at the priorities and the choices they are going to they are making in regards to Nigerian future. So I'm back home. I'm happy to be here with Heidi and uh Alan Cooper this morning. Yeah. Yeah, Ori, it's interesting that you, you know taking a 360 approach to education development and all the bells and whistles. Honestly, um, I am truly grateful to God for the opportunity I had to go through uh, the educational system. I, I can echo what you're saying from a standpoint. I was confronted by the then um, group council at, uh, at L'Oreal Paris. And then he said to me, Heidi, how did you you know, get through all of this. Did you school in any of the Ivy League institutions across the world? He named a few. And I said, no, that I started my career all the way through. My entire education has been in no other place than Nigeria. And he said, wow, tell me about it. Now, that speaks to the structure of our development way back. We had other peripheral institutions that helped us. We had the Boy Scout, the Girl Guide. They were the Red Cross the social values and all of that, they were like nutrients in the form and shape of taking our development. And today, we are thankful that um, very many of us are, in one way or the other, can say successful. We're still thriving to make the best of it. And this gives me the platform to be able to say a big um, thank you to, to Alan for you know coming all the way and not just putting some, pending some work down, but being able to see how this work will pan out. So, Alan, I would like to throw this the ball at your court now to, you know, you've been um, a great supporter of um, of Ori, for instance. Uh, we call him Ori, um, just for our audience to know. Uh, we're not call, used to calling him the big Emmanuel Professor Richard Jaffo. No, we call him Ori. He's just Ori, and uh, we all know him as Ori. Even the mom joins us in calling him Ori. So, um he didn't only dribble us on the pitch, he also dribbled us with education. Now he's a professor. I'm just a single mister. So, Alan, um, 
Thank before you so Alan, much. Before Alan answered that question, eh? Yeah, Ori. Let me be honest with you. They called me Ori, but the reality is that my, my mom also calls me Ori. I mean, the, the, the discipline I took from my mother eh, is the only reason I stayed in school, though. I'll be yes, honest. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. But mommy said that at our eighth year. Mommy said so to us and told us, yes, we all know that Ori was a naughty boy, that she's happy she disciplined you otherwise. You would have gone the other way. But truly to the audience, Ori had all he took to play at the national team. He had everything. Very gifted. But today is very gifted as a professor. And thanks to Alan. Alan, I'd like you to take a peep and just um, give us a peep into your lens on education and also mentoring Ori through the process today. Um, you look back at him and the work is done and your place as a facilitator, you know, to make that happen and how education really could turn and make national development a reality. It would be nice to hear your perspective. Well, you know, one thing that comes to mind is you can't really divorce education from opportunity, that you can get the very best education, but if circumstances don't let you apply it, uh, it all goes to waste and you end up with somebody who is frustrated and if, when you get lots of people frustrated, that it becomes a problem. But, you know, Emmanuel is one of millions of Nigerians who have traveled to the United States and had extremely successful careers. And, you know, the United States, by nature of its own history, is kind of the world in one country. There are people in the United States from every ethnic group, every country, uh, every religion. And when you put it all together and say, which group of people have been the most successful, at the very top of that list is Nigerians. The Nigerian-American community has done the best of adapting and proving itself uh, and, and being uh, both socially and economically successful in the United States. Now, I, I say that to really turn it around and say, why hasn't Nigeria provided the opportunity for educated Nigerians to uh, create and expand on their wealth of uh, knowledge and experience so that the, the wealth that's being created by that community remains in Nigeria. And so that strikes at the question that you're really asking is, it's, it sounds to me, and from what I've heard, that um, you and Emmanuel had a, a very solid education, but you both had opportunity and you both became very successful in your own ways. Um, but, you know, my, my worry is just that there are millions and millions and millions of people just in Lagos alone who um, are, on the one hand, may not have access to the education because they have to work to find a way to put food on the table. Uh, but even if they, in today's society, if they find uh, or get an education, the question still remains, will they have the opportunity to use that education, not only to have successful lives the way you and Emmanuel have, 
but to actually help build Nigeria so that more and more Nigerians don't feel like they have to go all the way to the United States to prove to the United States and the world that they are, in fact, the most resourceful uh, people on the planet at this point. Wow. That's uh, real food for thought. Um, Uri, what do you have to say? I mean, that's really uh, I, food I, for thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Alan is spot on that we have enormous talent outside and inside Nigeria. And how do we bring all these in, in an integrated fashion to contribute to development? So to that itself, we've seen enormous uh, flight in terms of intellectual capacity uh, to other parts of the world, not just United States, all over the world, you find Nigerians. So you see this brain drain that's been going on and going on and all, everybody wants to japa. So some of us have to understand that that is not the right model for development. Yes, we, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a advantage to us going through this jackpot process. In, in other words, we can compete elsewhere out, outside Nigeria. But what about our ability to compete inside Nigeria? What is inhibiting us to be competitive inside Nigeria? How do we take all that talent and channel it back, as Alan is saying, into our national development? That's the critical question here. So for me, what have I done about that? Yes, you know, I jackpot in 80 uh, and I left and I didn't abandon you, ID. I just took a sabbatical. The sabbatical has been over and I've been coming back to Nigeria over the last 20 plus years. And most of the time I've been doing a lot of work related to our development. I, I was quite committed that whatever I learned outside Nigeria has to be brought back to Nigeria to effect development. So I've done work on political economy, looking at why and the process of wealth accumulation in Nigeria. Uh, one of the things I prescribe for Nigeria is to reduce the size of government. I noticed the recent uh, government is trying to reduce that size. It's a long process and we have to reduce the size of government because the government is dead. Uh, and when the government is dead, you have corruption. So this is 2023. I was making this prescription in a textbook in 2019-20. That's why I don't say much. If not for this program, I just the look and laugh, like Fela would say, you know. <laughs> so and suffering and smiling, you know. But uh, at the same time, I'm, I'm I'm I weep for our country because we have all these experts all over the place. I listen to Arise TV and everybody and the talking heads, and I'm wondering who in government is listening. But the idea here is ID that I do all this other work, not just in the context of Nigeria. I, I get invited by other countries. I've consulted with United Nations, uh, UNDP, and other uh, uh, United States Dep uh, Department of States and, and International Development, USIID. We do all this work outside our country. We are respected and our our ideas is integrated into their development plan and they do, we do all these development studies. Who is listening to other colleagues? I'm not here to converse for a job. I don't need a job from anyone here. I just want them to do the right thing. 
And the first place to start is with our education. I know recently there's been this idea of uh, the student loan that certain percentage of our, our revenue from oil and other sectors will go into student loan. We don't need a student loan, really. We need what we call an educational grant. You know, we make enough money from oil revenue to provide a national grant, you know, because as it is right now, students who can afford to pay for education in Nigeria, for example, are not employed. So if it's taking them an extra five years to, to find a job after graduation, what is the point in getting the student loan? They are indebted forever to our national government. But I think what we need to do is start with a grant program rather than a loan program, for example. I'm trying to bring this whole issue into contemporary sense. So, yeah, uh, correct. And, and really, uh, I'm just very grateful to have people like Alan around me. When I got to the States, he guided me, he saw something in me, and I and he just let me go and be myself. You know, he really said, you know, you can be the best you want to be. This is the way, and, uh, and we all need someone to guide us. So this is fast forward, uh, 45 years later, Alan and I have collaborated on so many works where we are trying to solve global global problems. <laughs> we try, we try yeah. to solve, and and, we, and that's Amazing. my and that's my contribution to our country. I, I I'm I'm going to be very honest. I'm not interested in appointment from anybody. I'm not a politician. I'm an academic. Um, I'm a development studies expert. And if you can take one one inch of what I'm providing from to our audience and take it and do something with it, the the books are there, the texts are there, and I'm very happy to consult uh, in any form uh, and make sure we have a better future. There are so many other Emmanuel Richard Jaffos out there. Uh, they, please don't stop dreaming. And uh, I'm not dreaming anymore. I'm just contributing now because I I need to let somebody else have a good dream. And my job is to contribute to the good dream. And that's the way I will leave it to our audience. Well, what a good segue and a parting shot, Ori. And uh, let me say this to my distinguished listening audience. What Ori says to you is real. And what we've shared here is absolutely real. If I could ever, in my mind's eye, growing up as little boys, imagine Ori as a professor, I'll tell you no way. But if you could tell me, the next fellow will be sitting beside me and say yes. And here I am with a professor that's doing great things across West Africa, Africa, and indeed the world, trying to bring development to economies and to people. I think that's the man to salute. Uh, before we close, I'll just really, because I know time is fast spent, and um, Alan, I'd like you to do two things. Number one, to kind of give us your own wrap around this, and then um, just following the tradition, would like you to indicate a track or a song you'd like to listen to. It's um, much as we take this as a business school, it's for all work and no play, as you know. So we need some fun. We do play music. We do have music at the bed. So what would you like to listen to and what track? And I trust that my boss on the other side will make sure it brings it to life. So, Alan, over to you. Well, so should I go with the track first? <laughs> Um, you know, Nigeria uh, influences the world in different ways. And so in, a, in the United States, one of the kind of most impactful influences Nigeria has had in 
decades is probably the music of Fela. So um, anything from him would, uh, you know, resonate with both Americans uh, and others who have come to know Nigeria. He's probably uh, one of the most effective ambassadors the country has ever had. Um, Wow. Okay. And brought a lot of attention to, um, you know, Nigeria. As far as the, um, you know, kind of summarizing um, the discussion, um, you know, one of the things that's really impressed me on this, uh, the weeks I've been here, uh, Emmanuel has taken me to a number of different places where he has been sending his uh, financial resources over the years. So, you know, he he may have um, come to America to have a career, but he never really left home. And he's always I been agree. supportive of uh, institutions and uh, schools, you know, back here. And so it's it's been a, uh, a pleasure for me to just see, you know, all the great things that are actually happening here. There really is a a lot going on here probably gets overlooked uh, because you know our, our eyes get more uh, pulled over to the the high rise hotels and uh, apartment buildings you know being constructed down by the water, but um, there are these support systems in place. Uh, they may be overwhelmed, and maybe we need more of them. But you know, I think it's um, I really. D- have come to see another side of Emmanuel, but also of probably many other Nigerians who have gone abroad to uh, make a living that they're, they're sending money back home to try to help out in any way they can. And I think that's a positive sign for uh, all Nigerians that they, you know, when you work together that way, you, you build a nation. And sometimes those foundations are much stronger than anything some government official you know can do so again it's been a a a real pleasure uh, and honor for me to visit lagos and uh kind of get a a feel for what the future might bring um you know in the united states we always say that you know if you can make it in new york you can make it in anywhere uh, it's just that a lot of people that are in New York happen to have started off in Lagos. And being here, you realize, man, if you can make it in Lagos, you can make it anywhere as well. But anyway, I want to thank everyone for uh, being so kind and hospitable to me over the last couple of weeks. Thank you. Well, um, what can we say on that note? Um, distinguished listeners, we'll bring um, this to a wrap. Thank you so much, professors. Emmanuel Orisha Jaffo and Alan Cooper. We look forward to having you guys again on the beat and um, more successes, uh, more grace. And thank you so much for all you do. And to our teaming listeners, um, this couldn't be um, better put, but to have men who really put in the axe to grind. Well, we'll call it a wrap. It's the end of a great session. Thank you so much for coming, folks. And thank you for chiming in. And most of all, thank you for listening. Goodbye. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.